0: Thank you so much for for giving me two weeks off, I've had a a nice holiday and I'm back today and so it's good to see a few faces um, not seen for a while and a number of new faces, perhaps you've just moved to the area, I've met before the service just one or two people who've just moved to the area, maybe you're looking for a church, Uh, well thank you for joining us today, I hope uh, you get a good feel for what we're about. We are in uh, the Psalms again today, we've been preaching through uh, a selection of Psalms and seeing how they all point to Jesus and today we're in Psalm 127, that's page 624 in your Bible so please open that up. Uh, with me, page 624. And the, the, the yellow sheet gives you an idea of what I'm going to say over the next few moments. But uh, when we're ready, why don't I lead us in prayer? When I feel afraid, think I've lost my way, you're there right beside me. Father God, thank you so much that you are our security. It's not what we do, it's what you do and have done. And I pray that that truth would grip our hearts this morning so that um, wherever a state we've come here in, we would leave here feeling more secure, more loved, more treasured, and with a clearer purpose for our lives. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure you've heard of the actor Shia LaBeouf. Or is it Shia LaBeouf? Sheila Booth. Let's go, Sheila Booth. He starred in the Transformers films uh, about ten years ago now, and and then he was in the Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull film, slightly less successful. But since then, Sheila Booth hasn't really been doing very much. His career has been somewhat struggling. He famously appeared at the 2014 Berlin Film Festival with a paper bag over his head, with the words written, "I am not famous anymore," as a bit of a stunt. Well, in, in an interview recently, he, he admitted that despite past successes, he is crippled by insecurity. He says, actors live dependent on being validated by other people's opinions. So he admitted when he feels insecure, what he does is he takes his motorbike out, he drives up a very busy road, he parks his bike by the side of the road, takes his helmet off, and he stands there seeing how many people notice who he is. As they're driving past. And sometimes he's scared that no one realises who he is. He says, I have no idea where my insecurity comes from. But it's a God-shaped hole. If I knew how, I'd fill it. And I'd be on my way. Ask yourself this. What is it that gives you security in life? I'm not talking about the locks on your door or or, or the the alarm on your car, I'm talking about what it is that makes you feel personally secure in life, at ease. It might be what people think of us, uh, whether we feel loved, whether we feel appreciated or respected or, or not. It might be our performance at work, whether we're meeting our own expectations, whether we're meeting other people's expectations or not. Or maybe it's our relationship status, whether we're married or single, whether happily or not. It could be all sorts of things, couldn't it? I think how it is, we often look at these sort of things for our security. But actually that that sort of leads us in one of two directions. Either it leads us towards a a proud self-security or a crushing insecurity. That's true of us as individuals. I think it's true of us as a church as well. Often, church's security is all tied up with how things are going, how successful our, our outreach has been, how, how generous our, our giving is at the moment, how, whether we're growing numerically or not. Proud self security or crushing insecurity. Many of us, we might fear for the next generation, fear for our children. What will the state of the church be in, uh, in the generations to come? Will it be proud self-security? We're doing great. Or crushing insecurity? Well, this morning we're in Psalms 126, 127, 128. These are the songs of ascent. They were sung by pilgrims as though journeying upwards, ascending to Jerusalem. We're going to be focusing on 127 in particular... But before we go there, we need to get an idea of the journey that this psalm is on. So in Psalm 126, we see God's people crushed by insecurity. It begins happily, doesn't it? Uh, by remembering the good old days. They're remembering when God restored the fortunes of Zion. How he took them out of Egypt, rescued them in the Exodus. But now for them, in Psalm 126, that seems like a distant memory. A bit like a, like a dusty old Photograph. Now they're stuck in exile in the Negev, and they're begging God to do it again. In verse 5, we're given that picture of sowing tears into the ground. Can you imagine that? Like a farmer sows seed. What are they doing there? They're weeping into the soil in the hope of a future harvest of joy. They're sowing tears. It's a tragic picture in Psalm 126. But fast forward to Psalm 128, and and all that agricultural imagery is continued. Here God's people are now reaping, reaping an abundant harvest. Here all those curses from Genesis 3 are transformed into abundant blessing. So instead of a curse on the ground, in verse 2 we read, You shall eat the fruit of the labour of your hands. Instead of the curse on the womb and, and the problems of childbirth, in verse 3, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine. Do you see the progression? Psalm 126, sowing tears. Psalm 128, reaping blessing and joy. But the question is how do we get from there to there? And we're going to find the answer smack bang in the middle in Psalm 127. You could probably see from uh, the way our Bibles have divided it, it's a song of two halves. So I've got two points for us this morning. And the first is this you see it on your handout. The Lord is our security, which means self security is vanity. Look down with me at the beginning of Psalm 127. Read with me. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, Its builders labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For God grants sleep to those whom he loves. Solomon's picturing here an everyday scene in Jerusalem life. We have a builder hammering away at the timber, sawing pieces of wood, laboring to build a home for his family. We have a soldier waking up early in the morning, walking up and down the city walls, watching out diligently for threats on the horizon. And we have a farmer, a farmer who gets up very early in the morning. He's toiling and he's sweating to put bread on the table for his family it could almost be a hovis advert couldn't it With that sort of twee music going on in the background but then in one fell swoop Solomon tells us it's all in vain the builder the soldier the farmer all their labor is in vain unless the Lord their covenant God protects them why 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 do God's people need protection what's the problem what's the threat well you might not know but these three pictures are borrowed from another passage in the Old Testament it's a a passage which which looms ominously over this psalm a bit like a dark cloud people reading it would have understood that this reference so I want you to do I want you to turn back with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Keep a thumb in Psalm but Psalm 127, but turn back with me to Deuteronomy 28 as page 205 in your Bibles. 205. This is the the law which was given by Moses to God's people just as they're about to enter the land. Chapter 28, page 205. And look down with me at verse 15. And as I read it, try and think the link uh, with our psalm. Verse 15. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. You'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed. And the crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. You'll be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. Or how? How will this curse come about? Well, we're told, skip down to verse 29. 29, halfway through. You'll be unsuccessful in everything you do. Day after day, you'll be oppressed and robbed with no one to rescue you. You'll be pledged to be married to a woman but another will take her and ravish her. You'll build a house, but you'll not live in it. You'll plant a vineyard, but you'll not even begin to enjoy its fruit. Do you see how this threat of curse hangs over our psalm, Psalm 127? Think about it. What, What use is it? What good is it to watch the walls of the city like a faithful soldier, but to even form an army if the Lord intends for the city to fall? What good is it? What good is it to build a house, foundations, walls, roof? If the Lord intends another to come along and live in it. What good is it to dig out a field, to sow seeds, to form irrigation channels, to grow crops? If the Lord intends for someone else to come and eat that harvest instead of you. What good is it to marry? To have a family? If the Lord intends for another to come and take them away. You see, the biggest problem to Israel's security was not the Philistines, wasn't the Assyrians or the Babylonians. The biggest threat is their own sin and the Lord's righteous response to it. Solomon is reminding us in this psalm that the Lord must be our security, which means all attempts at self-security are inevitably in vain. I mean, that's a repeated repetition throughout the psalm, isn't it? Unless the Lord, it's in vain. Unless the Lord, it's in vain. It's in vain. It's in vain. The only way for Israel to keep secure in the city, in the house, in the field, is to remain in covenant obedience with the Lord God. Now, these are very wise words from the wise King Solomon. Very easy to say, much harder to keep. The irony is, as Ross alluded to earlier, as you read One Kings, you see how the lessons in this psalm are totally lost on Solomon himself. His building becomes reckless. His armies, proud. His marriages, a disaster. And Solomon, what he does, he creates for himself all of this self security and we watch over chapter by chapter as his kingdom crumbles into ruin falling under all those curses we saw in deuteronomy 28 we we'll fast forward two thousand years or a thousand years later and a man appears walking around israel calling himself a king greater than solomon see this man he embodied all wisdom And all obedience. His life, unlike Solomon's, was one of full covenant obedience to God. And yet what did he do with that obedience? What did he do with that blessing and that life? Well, he went to the cross. He went to the tree. And there he was nailed to take our sin in our place. Christ became a curse. In order that he might be a fountain of blessing... To us as people. Our place in God's kingdom was secured not by our obedience, but by His obedience. Now, this has huge implications for us here today. It has implications for us as a church. I think we need to remember this always that it is the Lord who watches over His house, His city, His people, His harvest field he's the one who secured it which means our security friends is not determined by our building and how pretty it is our security is not determined by the strength of our staff team or by the the weightiness of our bank balance unless the lord builds the house it's laborers labor in vain question is do we really believe this if you're a regular here you'll know it's been a, a sort of a turbulent past few years one reason or another and i wonder if perhaps the lord's intention behind all that was was to teach us to pray to humble us and put us down to our knees and say look we, we might have all this but we can't do it on our own so i've been encouraged over the past couple of years to see uh, monthly attendance at prayer meetings to increase so we Two years ago, we used to get around 20 to 30 each week. Now we get between 20, uh, 30 and 40. We're, we're growing in number in our prayer meetings. And I, that's a reason to praise God. But given the fact that normally on a Sunday we have around 200 adults joining us here, I'd love to see that number increase. For us to join as an entire church in prayer, because unless the Lord builds the church, the labor's labor in vain. It's pointless. We can put on all these marvelous schemes, the most excellent youth work, the most brilliant preaching. But if we don't pray, if the Lord doesn't do anything, then it's all in vain. Now, as individuals, I think we too need to know where our security lies. I think it's funny, a bit like Sheila Booth, where we naturally turn inwards, don't we, for security? We look inwards, or maybe we look outwards at what people think of us. How rarely do we look upwards? Only God can fill that God-shaped hole. And we get that here in verse 2, don't we? In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. I don't know if you ever suffer from sleeplessness. I've, I've been suffering from sleeplessness a little bit recently. Perhaps our worries or, or, or concerns or anxieties are sort of spinning around our head at night. Apparently Margaret Thatcher was famous for getting only four hours sleep a night. Uh, Condoleezza Rice, the former U.S. Secretary of State, apparently she, she hits the gym every day at 4.30 a.m. Uh, Tim Cook, head of Apple Computers, he's up at 3.45 a.m. But apparently he gave himself a lie-in after the uh, latest Apple Watch was released. He l- lied in all the way through to 4.30. What What a treat. See, the wisdom, the wisdom of our world, of the most successful people in our world, tells us that sleep is for losers. If you really want to achieve something, you get up early and you work hard. God's wisdom is remarkably different here, isn't it? Sleep is for those who've given up anxiously toiling to make their own security. Sleep is for those who are resting secure in their covenant God. Now, I find this to be a wonderfully liberating truth. We don't need to be the very best at work. We don't need to be the most highly approved of in our circles. We don't need to carry around the burden of our failures or, or our sin because our security is not found within. Our security is not found in what people think of us. Our security is found in Christ. He is our life. He is our rest. He is our sleep. Which means all self-security is vanity. It's vanity. Now I'm sure verses one and two are familiar to you. I, I, I've lost count how many times prayer meetings begin with uh, Psalms. Uh, so the first two verses of uh, Psalm one, two, seven. Funnily enough, verses three to five kind of get less airtime. <laughs> Um, that's probably because they're, they're quite weird. Um, you might have looked at them earlier and thought, what on earth is going on? It seems like a bit of a random gear change uh, from Solomon. It's like he, he put down his pen, came back a few hours later and began writing another psalm and then sort of they got squished together. Seems a bit random, doesn't it? Well, Solomon's just told us how, how the Lord is our security. He's rebuked us for our self-security. And now he starts talking about the blessing of children. And in particular, sons. And we might be thinking, well, hang on, isn't that a bit sexist? And what about those of us here, many of us here, who don't have children, perhaps won't have children? Are Solomon's words just irrelevant for us here today? Or maybe we think they're quite painful words for us here today. Well, let's find out. Here's our second point. The Lord gives us weapons, so raise a family. The Lord gives us weapons, so let's raise a family. Look down with me at verse 3. Psalm 127. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a reward from him. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. Now I want us to think of this second section as a bit like the flip side of the same coin. Okay? So yes, Israel, uh, the Lord is Israel's security. But does that mean, therefore, Israel should do absolutely nothing for their own security? Should the builder just pull a sickie? Well, the Lord's going to build the house. Should the, uh, the farmer just stay in bed? Well, the Lord's going to sow the seed. Uh, should the watchman stay at home and just watch repeats of Top Gear on Dave? Well, the Lord is going to watch over the city. Well, no. The Lord is Israel's ultimate security. But that doesn't mean he expects Israel to do nothing. The flip side of that coin is that he gives Israel weapons. Weapons in the form of sons. See, in that culture, it's a bit different to ours, your sons were the ones who defended the city, your sons were the ones who went out and plowed the field, your sons were the ones who built the house. Humanly speaking, your sons were your security. So that meant if the Lord gave you loads and loads of sons, then you were blessed indeed, as it says in verse three sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. Now again, that's a direct quote from Deuteronomy twenty eight, but from this time from the blessings part of it. See, covenant obedience results for Israel loads of children, which humanly speaking means lots and lots of security. I just love the picture there in verse 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior A sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies at the gate. I love that imagery. A picture, you're an ancient Israelite and you have an enemy. Someone you've got bad blood with. He has it in for you. So out you waddle. You, you meet him at the city gates. That's the place where you have a dispute, where you have a fight. Now you waddle, but you're an old man at this point. So you're out there with your zimba frame. And uh, you see so slowly waddling out bit by bit. And your, old man, the, the, your enemy, he sees you there, weak and helpless, and he does an evil laugh. Ha 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 ha, I'm going to have victory over you today. He thinks you're going to be a pushover. But as you sort of turn the corner, uh, and it, your enemy sees that behind you are your 15 sons, <laughs> your own personal rugby team. And your, your enemy, he does a little bit of quick mental uh, arithmetic, and he works out, he's horrifically outnumbered, Your quiver is full of arrows. Which means he's not going to win this dispute with you on that day. He's not going to mess with you anymore. I wonder if Solomon is is fine-tuning the point he made in the first half. Yes, the Lord is your security. Without him, self-security is in vain. But in his kindness, God has blessed you with these weapons, these means of defense so it is wise solomon says it is wise to build a family now how on earth should we make sense of this today should we compare family sizes when we have a dispute with someone on our street i have a bigger family i have four kids you only have two i win i get to have my tree on that side of the gate or whatever your dispute is should uh, st john's should we go militant and form the militant wing of the salvation army Stockpile guns and ammo and you know, take the world by force. Should that be what we do from this psalm? Should we prefer boys over girls? And, you know, Chloe was born. Darn it. Oh, great, Caleb's here. Hooray. <laughs> no. That's not what this psalm is saying. None of those things are right. We need to read this psalm through the lens of the New Testament. You see, at the cross, Jesus won the war for us against Satan against sin and against death. He has won us full security for his church, for his family, for his kingdom. The war is won. But, but the father still calls his children to fight. Whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're a boy or a girl, we're still called to fight. To fight not with arrows or, or guns or bombs, but with the word of truth. In a moment's time, we're going to close our service by singing a song called "O Church Arise. You might want to look at the words. It makes this point absolutely brilliantly. Look at, look at the second verse. We might recoil at this sort of militaristic language, but it's everywhere throughout the Bible. We can't get away from it. Look at verse 2 here. Our call to war, to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor. That's Satan. And with the sword that makes the wounded whole, we will fight with faith and valour. When faced with trials on every side, we know the outcome is secure. And Christ will have the prize for which he died, an inheritance of nations. Do you see there the point? The the, the battle is won. The kingdom is secure. But that does not mean that the church should just slip into maintenance mode. Oh, well, we're kind of 80% full, let's just stop. We shouldn't just... And barricade ourselves in and become a sort of a, a nice, neat, holy huddle and just be satisfied with that. No, we've got to get out. We've got to get out. We've got to carry on fighting for the kingdom's advance and its defense. And in particular, according to this psalm, we've got to raise up children who are equipped to fight for Jesus. So, some applications here for us. For those of us who have children, it's right that we remember that they are a blessing from God, but a blessing not just for us and our families, but a blessing for the sake of his kingdom, for the church. So our job is to focus not just on their development academically, socially, in sports, those are important, but also that we raise up our children to stand firm for Jesus, that we're training warriors for Christ. Now, in conversations with many uh, parents, I get the feeling, actually, we're doing a pretty good job at this. I'm, I'm encouraged to hear of things like uh, uh, daily Bible readings, um, parents who open the Bible with their, with their kids very briefly, after breakfast, before they head off to school. I'm encouraged to hear of how, how dads try and get home early so they can pray with their kids before they go to bed at night. I hear stories of how kids um, go to school and uh, they invite their friends to the the midweek clubs here so their friends can hear about Jesus. That's what we're on about here at St. John's. That's exactly what we're about. And incidentally, if you're here today and you're you're a stay-at-home parent, this passage gives great value and dignity to what you do. Our culture says what you do is not valuable and many will look down on you, oh, you're just a mum or something like that god clearly values what you do it is a really important job we have a a great children youth children's and youth work here but i think the challenge for us as parents is to remember that ross's job and the youth team downstairs their job is not to do all that for us but for us to partner with them in that work We, we can't just delegate it to them and not and just forget about it for the rest of the week so let's keep praying for our children not just that they would do well at school but but that they would boldly stand firm for Jesus at school. Not just that they'll get into that university of choice or into that top job, but but that they would be used mightily in the advance and defence of the kingdom. I hope that helps us if we're parents here today. But it might be we're here today, and maybe you're married, and one day you hope or you aspire to have children. Well, I think passages like this encourage us, if we're able to, to have as many children as we're able to. Now look at verse 5 again. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Now contrast that thought with um, what uh, Western secular culture tells us. Who, who consider children more to be a financial burden than a blessing. So according to the latest stats I checked this morning. The national average birth rate per woman in the UK is now one8 each couple, in general, having 1.8 children. They're not even replacing themselves. The average uh, Christian couple are having 2.7 children, so we're only just replacing ourselves, we need 2.4 to replace yourselves to account for singles in the population. Muslims are having 3.1 children per family. What this means, put all that together, if these sort of trends continue, is that by 2055, 9% of all babies will be born into religiously unaffiliated families. So secular humanist families, just 9%. 36% of children born will be to Muslim families, and around 30% to Christian families. This psalm teaches us that children are a blessing, and one of God's means of blessing is to secure his church for the future. But I was chatting with one Christian parent recently, uh, not in this church, but they said, oh, no, we don't want any more children because we need to get a bigger car. We don't want one of those ugly minivans. We'd, uh, we don't want the kids to have to share a room. We live in London. We can't move house. don't want the kids to share a room. We quite like the sort of holidays we go on. We don't want to have to go on camping holidays. And I'm aware there's so many variables here, so many caveats. um, But for the sake of God's kingdom, surely it is better to be poorer and to have more children than to be richer and have less. Well, what does this passage say to those who don't or can't have children? And in a way that, as I've been speaking, this is a really painful subject for many. Uh, single people here who, who perhaps want to be married but, but aren't. Perhaps married couples who have who, been trying for children for a while but, but seem unable to. Well, I th- Again, I think we need to read this psalm through the lens of the New Testament because it radically changes our approach here. Think of the Lord Jesus self. Lord Jesus Christ himself, he was single. The Apostle Paul himself was single. And yet how often did Jesus address his disciples as his children. How often does the Apostle Paul, writing to letters to, to churches he planted, call them my children in the faith? The truth is, friends, if you are in Christ, none of us, none of us are childless. We all have been given a family to love, to pray for, to nurture. We've all been given children to teach, young people to equip and to encourage so that when all of us here are old and feeble and in our Zimmer frames, the next generation can come out and help defend and advance Jesus' kingdom here in the UK and elsewhere. I can think now, growing up, of people in our church who are single, who are uncles and aunties to me. I'm still in contact with them now. They prayed for me. They taught me the Bible. They put up with me when I was a really awkward teenager And I I praise God for them. They were single, but they had children. They had many children. Whoever we are here today, we have a role to play in raising up the next generation of gospel workers. Humanly speaking, the children downstairs are our security. So are we investing in them? Well, Psalm 126, sowing tears. Psalm 128, reaping joy. How do we get from there to there? By trusting God for our security and by using the weapons he gives us. So let's pray. And with the sword that makes the wounded whole, we will fight with faith and valour. Almighty God, we pray that you would help us to make you our security, help us to make you our refuge and our strength, that when we're feeling insecure, that when we're feeling downtrodden, we would nonetheless trust in you, know that you've done everything needed to secure us eternally in your kingdom. But Lord, please send us out as people who desire to make secure your kingdom using the gifts you've given us, using the resources you've given us. And we thank you for all those children downstairs as well, as they learn about Christ, as they learn to be little soldiers of Christ in their own way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.